Hi, my name is Nicole Faye Golden, and I'm the host of Scar Stories Podcast. We all walk through seasons of brokenness, and it's so easy to buy into the lies that we're alone, forgotten, weak, and too far gone. But here's what I want you to know. We all have scars, and so we all have stories. I'm really hoping these interviews resonate with you and that you walk away knowing that you aren't alone, you're never forgotten, you are strong enough, and there are always second chances. Thanks so much for tuning in, and welcome to Scar Stories. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Scar Stories. My name is Nicole Golden. I'm your host, and I'm so glad that you guys are here. Um, I have been loving these interviews over the past couple of weeks, and I have a brand new friend here that I can't wait to introduce you to. Her name is Jessie Jean, and I I don't know, Jessie, how I even found you on Instagram. Somehow I stumbled across um, your socials, and I immediately fell in love. Um, she is so open and honest about body image issues, um, food issues, sex, <laughs> the whole nine yards. And we're going to get into all of it in this next hour. So um, we're going to talk fast and move along and maybe even get you on another time because I have so much I want to ask. Mm-hmm. But welcome, Jesse. So glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. Oh, 100%. So let's just dive right in. So I know, um, and it's, I say this all the time on my podcast that a lot of times, I, you know, um, stalk people on their socials, but I don't actually end up meeting them and having a conversation until they get on the podcast, which is kind of fun. Um, so from the research and stuff that I've done on your socials, which sounds weird now, don't report me in <laughs> order. Um, you were in all sorts of like body competitions or bikini competitions or something, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yep. I did bodybuilding for a number of years. Okay. Wild. So tell me about that journey how that journey, and I've always been, so you're not the only person I've run into that was bodybuilding, but also having like issues with eating, like eating disorders. And Mm -hmm. everyone, some people say disordered eating, you know, they say it all different ways, but you're not the only person I've talked to about it. And that's always so fascinating to me because a lot of times when you think of disordered eating, you think someone who's really thin has no muscles and you know, no. So that's such an interesting thing to me, but tell me about that journey for you. And did the disordered binging start before that, during that, after that, tell us a little Mm. bit about your story. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first I would say that I would, um, dare to guess probably nine out of 10, uh, bodybuilding competitors struggle with disordered eating body dysmorphia, eating disorders. So, uh, very few can actually pursue the sport. It is a sport. Um, and not have it, uh, take a huge toll on their mental and physical health. It is something that, um, it's an elite sport and, um, in order to do it successfully, you just have to be, I think, wired a certain way mentally. And if you can't, um, it doesn't mean you're weak or you're broken. It just, it's not natural for our body to go through such stress. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty sad. And a lot of, competitors, uh, don't even realize they have eating disorders. They just chalk it up to being super disciplined and it's just part of the sport, but they're really struggling with body dysmorphia. They never feel good enough. They're struggling with, you know, what they see in the mirror, they're struggling with food. They're, you know, restricting and restricting, restricting, and doing these, you know, 12, 16, 20 week long preps, and then spiraling out of control immediately after the show. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
don't know how to live, how to eat outside of a very regimented plan. Um, and so it almost becomes a self-imposed prison that they create for themselves. And so I just got sucked into that. I was struggling with food well before I started competing. Um, and when I found fitness, it was almost like, um, it was like, this could be my way to finally heal because if I'm disciplined enough to control my food, get the body I want, I'll be confident and, um, that'll solve my struggles with food and body. And sure enough, it, um, only exacerbated the problem, um, and the binging, the overeating and the restrict cycles magnified when I started competing, because it's just, a more intense form of dieting. It's more restrictive. It's, uh, you know, the hours that you're putting in, in the gym every day, there was a time where I would go to the gym twice a day. I was probably in the gym four hours a day. Um, and you know, at my lowest was eating, you know, barely a thousand calories and working out that hard. So, you know, my metabolism got all messed up. Uh, I had brain fog, my hair was falling out. I had no sex drive. Um, leading up to one of my first competitions, I was so emaciated that I had to walk along the side of the uh, wall at the airport to brace myself so I wouldn't pass out as I was going from gate to gate. Um, And I remember at that time, I was so disordered in my thinking around food um, that I didn't even think gum was allowed, that one calorie that you get from chewing gum. And I remember I I quote unquote broke in the airport and I had a piece of gum. Mm. And I remember feeling so guilty for chewing a piece of gum. Mm. Um, so that's kind of the extreme that I got to. And yeah, that was a number of years that I did that. Um, fortunately I got a little bit better at the sport and I found mentors and more science, uh, uh, science backed coaches and, uh, trainers who are supportive and help helping me understand how to pursue bodybuilding in a little bit healthier way. Um, but nonetheless, it was still really unhealthy for me and it was still, um, yeah, it was just perpetuating the cycles that I was in. Yeah. How did you, so what was the breaking point? How did you, are you out of bodybuilding? And then, you know, was it, you had to get out of that to break the cycle? What was, what was that journey like for you? Yeah, I had to, um, I realized that if I wanted to live a life where I was not constantly thinking about food and constantly concerned with how I looked and, you know, the shape of my body, and I wasn't constantly having to count calories or count macros, I had to move outside of a sport that forces you to constantly focus Mm. on that. And I was terrified, but I was also exhausted. I was so sick and tired of spending so much time in the gym. I was so tired of weighing, tracking and measuring every gram of protein, carbon fat that went in my body. It was, it, it, came to a point where I just couldn't do it anymore. I was just worn out. And, um, I slowly started to transition out and it went from, I actually got sick following one of my last competitions. And I now look at it as a blessing in disguise because I got sick and I couldn't work out as hard as I was. And I was sick for about a month. And so I was just kind of laid up and, um, that period of rest was so healing for me in so many ways, because I used to struggle to take one day off from the gym. I felt so much guilt and shame. And, um, 
when I was forced to rest, I felt my energy levels coming back. I felt, um, I just felt healthier. I felt better. I was driving my body into the ground with how hard I was pushing it. And so I started to, and I was tired, like I said, tired of weighing, tracking, measuring every gram of protein, carbon fat. And so I started to slowly not count my calories and count my macros and try to move into intuitive eating, but it was definitely a really messy process of feeling like I was spiraling out of control and all these off limits foods that I had, Mm. um, you know, they had such a magic, such an allure to them. So anytime I would eat them, I would go crazy. And I thought, you know, I can never do this whole intuitive eating thing where I listen to my body because, you know, if I listen to my body, I'd be elbow deep in a tub of ice cream every night. Like this (laughs) just isn't going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, uh, eventually over time, as I learned some different, uh, brain-based techniques to reprogram my relationship with food, I really started to find my way out of those cycles, out of Mm. the feelings of impulsiveness to binge or overeat and, um, was able to, you know, leave a little bit of food on my plate. I would lose interest when I was physically full instead of just continuing to eat and eat and eat. Um, and those were huge wins that people who struggle with food understand, like the ability to have junk food in your house and not go crazy on it. The ability to, um, you know, have some, have some ice cream and just stays at a little bowl. It doesn't turn into a full-blown binge or to be able to, um, you know, feel physically full and not want to continue eating and wake up in the morning and not think about food first thing in the morning, or to constantly be stressing about your weight and your body and stepping on the scale. Like all of those things slowly started to become my reality as I pursued, um, like behavior modification, Mm -hmm. And mental reprogramming. And that was a really, that was a, that was a process, but it was one that I'm so glad that I pursued because staying in the bodybuilding world and continuing what I was continuing was just, um, it was life sucking. It took so much from me and I didn't want to spend the rest of my life giving so much of myself to the way I looked. Yeah. Yeah. Was there something like, Cause you said your relationship with food was not good even before the bodybuilding. So was there something that had happened to you, you know, when you were younger, that just kind of, kind of pushed you in this direction of being obsessed with your body and what you ate and, and how you looked, or, you know, I think for all of us there, there's this obsession or con- concern for how we look, but for you, it seemed like it kind of went, you know, one step even further. So was there something that had happened when you were younger? Was it just something that was just gradual for you? Um, I think it was a gradual process for me. It started, um, my mom growing up really struggled with alcohol and I never felt like I was in control of that situation. And Mm -hmm. so finding something I could control my food intake, uh, felt attractive to me. And I was also in cheerleading and gymnastics. And, um, I was naturally a pretty petite girl and, um, I was the top girl. They were throwing me in the air. And as I aged, as any individual does, as they're growing up, they grow, they gain weight. Um, and I saw it as a personal failure that I was no longer, Mm. you know, the girl on the top of the stunts. And there were certain things that like my role in that world Mm. was changing. And I felt like it was my, my fault. Mm. And so 
Um, so yeah, I just started to see the answer as needing to control food. I was also, um, a really big perfectionist. And so, um, that perfectionism translated into every area of my life. I, um, you know, I was in athletics, I was in, uh, advanced academics. I was doing student government. I was volunteering. I was doing everything I could to try and get scholarships to go to, uh, to go to college. Cause my parents uh, didn't have the money to send me. And so yeah. I was just putting my, you know, putting so much effort into, um, excelling that from the time I was a freshman in high school, I started sleeping like maybe four or five hours at night. Um, because I was just committed to being the best at everything I did. So I would yeah. study all the way into the late hours of the night, I would get up early and I would go to school to work out, you know, with, um, with the sports team. So I could mm. keep in shape for my sport. And it was just like, it was just this obsession of mine. And so, um, I started to obviously need caffeine to keep me up, but I also needed, you know, other energy sources. So I just started to turn to food to give me fuel because I wasn't sleeping. And, um, my body started to change one. I was growing and one, I just wasn't sleeping and I was just eating instead for energy. And when I noticed that happening, that's when I started to try all these different things to reverse what was happening. And in that process of trying to control food, food really started to control me. And I started yeah. to obsess over it and spiral out of control. And it was very shameful. I felt like I was the only one on planet earth that was, you know, doing these weird things that I was doing with food. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, I just, um, and I do wonder too, you know, as your mom struggled with alcohol and other things, you know, even trying to find your worth in these, the perfectionism and trying to find your worth and, you know, look how good I am. Look at all the things I can do, you know? Um, so now you also share on there that you got breast implants, um, when you were younger, correct? I mean, you weren't yeah. very old when you got them. How old were you when you got those? No, I was 20. 23. And yes, I got, um, I got the implants, um, at following my first competition, my first bodybuilding bikini competition. Um, the girl who I got second place, I was so excited to get second place, but the reason that, um, the judges told me I didn't get first place in that competition was because my upper body wasn't symmetrical with my lower body. Um, and the girl who got first place had implants. I'm like, that's what they mean. Like my, you know, my upper body. And when you're so lean, you lose all breast tissue. Yeah. So I thought, you know, in order for me to, um, to get anywhere in bodybuilding, I need to get implants. And so, um, I immediately six months later was, you know, going to get implants and, um, yeah, that's, you know, that's kind of what pushed me into it. I also will say that, um, growing up, I didn't start my period until, well, they had to induce my period. Um, because I, yeah, I didn't start it until I was like 20 years old and of all the stress your body was under. Okay. I I think so. Yeah. I think it was a lot of stress. Uh, I think probably, um, a little, yeah, a little post-traumatic stress disorder from the situation I grew up in. Mm -hmm. Um, and, all, yeah, I was just putting, putting myself through so much. So I'm, I think that's really what contributed to it. But as a result, um, my breast development was interesting. It was, they were underdeveloped. Um, they were asymmetrical and they just, it was just like a child who never fully developed. And so I was really, um, yeah, really insecure. So that's why I decided to go and yeah, get implants. And did it help? 
with the, yeah, I did. I, it really did. I was more confident for quite a while. Um, I felt good. I felt much better about it. Yeah. Um, and so when people say, you know, now that I've gotten them out, yes. um, people say, you know, do you yeah. regret, yeah. Do you regret yeah. getting them? And, you know, I, I don't regret any part of my life because mm-hmm. I feel like it's all made me who I am. Yep. Um, knowing what I know now, I probably would have pursued things a little bit differently, but, um, yeah, it didn't, it did boost my confidence for quite a while. And I yeah. was, um, that felt good. Yeah. Yeah. Now you met, I think I saw that you met your husband in the fitness world, right? Did you guys meet at a competition? No, we actually met at the gym. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, he was, um, he was working out. Um, Is this while you were in the middle of competing or after? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I was in the middle of my competing days. He was okay. um, at the squat rack and I put my stuff down on the squat rack next to him. And I, you know, was just trying to save it. I went into the bathroom and I came back and he was like, people were trying to take your rack. I saved it for you. And I'm like, thanks so much. And that's just where it started. And then the rest is history. Yeah, the rest so, is history. So what now, <clears throat> um, talk to me about that journey, like, and I just saw, I was like just scrolling through your social media before we got on here and, and you shared a picture of you and Hung sitting in a room in your, in your house. And you talked about all the, you know, hundreds of hours of marriage therapy y'all had in that room. And, um, my husband and I have had quite a bit of marriage therapy. I feel like every good marriage is built on hundreds of hours and thousands <laughs> of dollars of therapy. Amen. So <laughs> yeah, right. as you were coming out of that world, you know, um, your relationship with food is changing, your body's changing, you know, and then we're going to talk about this in a second, but just in this past year, you got your breast implants removed. Yep. And so talk to me about, did, did all of those changes affect your relationship with hung? And then did it affect your security in your relationship with hung? You know, like, cause you met him with your body looking one way. If we can just, I think we can just speak really honestly. You met him yeah. with your body looking one way and now yep. your body looks different. And so what was that like for you emotionally? What was that like for him emotionally? Talk to me a little bit about your marriage as you're going through all of this transformation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. So uh, the one thing I will say about Hung is he has never, I don't think there's ever been one time he's made me feel uh, insecure in my Mm -hmm. body, no no Mm -hmm. matter what I've been going through. So really, really do appreciate uh, him for that. And he's, you know, he's, we've both got our issues and he's got, you know, he deals with anger and a temper. Um, but he's, he always fights fair. He's never, you know, he's never called me names. He's never poked up any of my insecurities, not once. And so, um, he's actually taught me a lot about fighting fair and, um, Yeah. So as my body was changing, I was definitely feeling, uh, insecure about it. Um, but it was never, you know, it was never coming from him. I, um, I was just insecure in gaining weight following the the competition. And I definitely was nervous, you know, leading up to, um, leading up to getting my implants removed, uh, just a few months ago, I was nervous because yeah, he, he met me with these big boobs and now they're going to go away. And my surgeon, you know, they were, what were they? Three, 400, 
400, one was 400 cc's and the other was 450 because they were okay. asymmetrical. So surgeon was trying to balance them out. And, um, my surgeon that I went to, we flew to California to go to this, uh, surgeon who, um, just does explants. So it's mm. all he does and it's all mm. he's done for years. And so, um, he kind of, he really under promised and over delivered, which I'm grateful for. He was like, yeah. look, you know, you're, 450 cc's, like you're going to be substantially different size. Like those are large implants. And he was like, and you know, there's going to be a lot of, you know, excess skin, you've got really stretchy skin. So, Uh you know, that's, it's, we're going to do the best we can to make it look as good as we can. But he was like, you know, this fullness that you have up top on the top of your breast right now, that's not going to be there. He said, natural boobs don't have that fullness. Like when you grab your boobs and you push them up. They don't have that. Even when we do a lift, natural boobs aren't going to create that look. And so, um, so yeah, I was really, really nervous about that, but, um, went through with the surgery and got them out and was really pleasantly surprised with Mm. how they looked and how much better I felt. My neck felt, I was constantly dealing with neck and back pain. And I thought it was from working at the computer all day, but I really think it was just how heavy my implants were just Mm. weighing on my neck all the time. Um, but yeah, as my body was changing, there's been so many different moments where I've been triggered to focus on it and self-objectify. Um, but through the work that I've done in my own healing journey, the work that I teach the clients that I work with, it's, it's really about building body image resilience. So as I've shared openly on my social media, I was nervous about how I'd look after my surgery. I've also been dealing with this really annoying rash on my face for seven months now, still dealing with it. And I committed a couple months ago to stop putting makeup on it. I thought, you know, if I'm going to ever heal this thing, I have to let it breathe. I got to let it do its thing. And so that was another, another step. I feel like in my, my body image resilience journey of of feeling like I'm worthy to be seen without mm. makeup on my face mm. and, and this full-blown rash. Sometimes it's really irritated and flared. And, um, you know, it's amazing when we, when we, be, when we choose to believe in our worth, despite our flaws or despite the things that make us feel insecure, it's really quite powerful. Um, how much resilience we build and yeah. how, you know, it's like, I would get so nervous initially when I first stopped wearing makeup a few months ago. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to go out. I don't want to go to the store. I don't want people to see me. Yeah. And then eventually it was just like, you know, it's just like, it is what it is. And nobody says anything. Nobody does anything, you know, yeah, go yeah. out and it's like, okay, you have cellulite on your legs. Nobody cares. Nobody's yeah. thinking about it. People just, you know, they might notice it and have a sec, a, a, a thought for two seconds. And then they're thinking about themselves and their own insecurities. So, you know, it's just, it's been such a journey for me to make peace mm. with an ever-changing body. And, you know, as I get older, I notice a bunch of other things. Like my skin isn't as firm. Wrinkles are coming. You know, it's just yeah. like everything starts to change and we're not escaping it. So we might as well learn how to make peace with our ever-changing body. And that's, you know, I've had so many seasons where my body has undergone so much change and mm. our bodies are not supposed to be our we're not supposed to fit into our, the same clothes we fit into when we were 18. Like that's just not realistic. So many of us are hoping for our adolescent bodies and that's not, 
that's not how it works. And we have to start making peace with the fact that our bodies are going to continue to change. And I think the best way to do that is, um, to start to see ourselves as more than a body. We need to stop self-objectifying because Mm. we're not, our bodies are not ornaments, they're instruments. And so Mm. it's like when we can see more than our body, we start to value our life and value ourselves beyond our body. And so I think a lot of my self-worth has transitioned from what do I look like to who am I and what makes my life so rich and really shifting that focus has been so transformational because I'm not so caught up on a day-to-day basis in, you know, what my hair looks like, or if I'm fitting into this outfit, I want to fit into, or how my skin is doing. It's like, yeah, yeah, some days it gets me last night. I was telling the hung, I'm like, I'm so sick of this stupid rash on my face. Like, I don't know what to do. And I've gone through so much, so much testing. We've spent probably $10,000 at this Mm. point through all different tests. And it's like, it's like, we don't know what's going on in my body. And so Um, yeah, it's been, a, it's definitely been a process, but, uh, along the way, you know, with how it's impacted our marriage, um, I just, I think hung does such a fantastic job of, um, you know, regardless of what I look like, yeah. he desires me. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think, you know, I get for me, it's like getting caught up in my own head of feeling undesirable. And then I act uh, I put up walls, mm-hmm. but realizing that he's always wanting to be with me, he always desires me and just letting that love in. I think a lot of us are blocking ourselves from letting the love in, mm-hmm. um, because of how insecure we feel when it's there, our partners or the people in our lives, they want to love us, yeah. but our insecurities are, you know, are shielding us. So, yeah, yeah. I just, I resonated with so much that you said, and I, I love the body image resilience, you know, line that you shared. And for me, I was always very overweight in middle mm-hmm. school and high school. And, um, <clears throat> I mean, not very overweight, but I was chubby and, um, people that were closest to me would make fun of me because they just thought, you know, it was just, I think they thought it was all good fun. And I would laugh back because I was so embarrassed, but I mean, I, we would even be at dinners with, with other people. And I'd ask for roles and my friend would be like, you don't need any more roles. And he'd say that to me in front of like referring to the roles in my stomach and stuff. And so I, for the longest time, just thought my whole life, I was going to be chunky. And then, um, right after my husband, Brian, and I got married, I got diagnosed with anxiety and depression and borderline personality disorder and felt so out of control with that. A similar thing just started really counting my calories, working out and lost about I don't really know what I weighed before I started losing weight, but I got down to like skin and bones, you know? Um, and, um, and then since that point and now I've had four children, my body has changed. Um, I, I think now I'm more focused on wanting to be healthy, but still I've had this kind of touch and go relationship with food. I'm a big sweets person. And, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you're talking about having junk food in the house and being controlled. I'm not good at that yet, but it's been funny because this past year I finally realized, okay, I can work out till I'm blue in the face and I can restrict my calories and all of those things. Um, but I don't have a good relationship with food. And so one of my good friends is a health coach. And so she and I've been working together over. And I think that's kind of how even I ventured over to your page. Cause I just, mm-hmm. I think more and more, there's more women like you speaking out openly about being comfortable in our bodies and getting used to the roles and the skin. If there's not well, their skin, you know, and just appreciating our bodies for who they are. And what you said, not, not just for what we do, but how did you say it? It's not what I, um, you said something about it's my body. Isn't 
an it's, ornament. It's yeah, an it's an instrument. And then you said something else. It's like, I'm not so focused on what I look like, but who I am or what I do or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yeah. I said, you know, shifting the perspective of shifting all of my energy from yeah. what I look like into who I am, what yes. I value. Yes. Because yeah, that's what's been so transformational for me. And I think too, one of the things I appreciate about you is I, I feel like you're fair. Like you and I talked about this. And I've never admitted this on the podcast, but hey, why not? Like I got a mommy makeover about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, after having four kids, I had three boys. I had my daughter and then three boys. And um, one of the reasons why we pursued it was because after my last son, my final, um, my number four and no more, um, the doctor came in and was like, you are going to have to have surgery. I had so much excess skin. Mm. And so, and then I had terrible diastasis recti. I had like, you could stick four fingers between my abdominal roll, mm-hmm. uh, wall. And, um, and then also like my boobs were like a flappy little piece of skin, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we went in and got the whole nine yards done. And I've seen, and, and what I appreciate about you is I feel like you're fair. Cause I, mm-hmm. I remember reading a lot of the posts where you're like, I'm not saying, cause I saw some people were coming at you and you're like, I'm not saying not to get it done. You know, you were talking about your journey. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's one reason why I've just been so drawn to you. Um, and even with your no makeup journey and things like, as we're talking, like you don't have any, I'm full faced, you know, mm-hmm. but I think, I think that's, I think we need more voices like yours mm-hmm. in this particular field saying, listen, it's not all or nothing, mm-hmm. but it's, it's finding, I think the reason behind what you're doing, why you're like, why you're doing what you're doing. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Am yeah. I right on that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, if I, if my skin could handle it, I would have a full face of makeup right now. I yeah. enjoy putting makeup on. Yeah. I- joy getting done up, you know, those things. And, you know, it's, I think what's so important is to recognize that, um, it's okay for us to all be different and we don't have to pass judgment. Mm. You know, we don't have to pass judgment on our friends or the people in our communities or our circles or our families that Mm. really like to get dressed up and put makeup on and spend a lot of money on their hair and clothes and whatever, if that's not who you are. And also likewise, if that's who you are, you don't need to pass judgment on those who don't like to do those things, those, you know, those who, prefer an all natural approach to the way that they look. That's totally okay. And I think, you know, we, uh, our culture gets so easily offended by our differences instead Mm. of recognizing that somebody else's reality can be so true for them and it doesn't have to be a threat to your own reality. And so, um, yeah, I'm definitely, you know, I'm, I don't think there's a one size fits all for anything and I'm not against plastic surgery because I got my implants out. I got them out because I think they were contributing to making me sick. And it doesn't happen for everybody when they get implants, but there's a lot of people it does happen for. And so I think I wanted to share my story because I I wanted people to hear this. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, there's, I I think it's, yeah, that line needs to be very clear that, you know, if you choose to get plastic surgery or to, you know, do a mommy makeover, get Botox, get things done, hey, feel good about that and and do you and do it unapologetically. And if people pass judgment, that's okay. That's on them. I think when we walk in our own unshakable confidence of what Mm -hmm. it means for us to feel alive and to feel good and to feel confident. Yeah. I think that's what matters most. So I have friends who, you know, I, I spend money on, you know, certain aspects. Like I spend a lot of money on my hair. I spend money on, you know, usually when I'm, when I haven't been dealing with a skin issue, you know, I put makeup on my fake eyelashes, the whole nine yards. Yeah. Um, and then I have, and I have friends who just don't do that. Yeah. Um, 
I have friends who are, you know, I have friends who are a lot more bougie, if you will, than I am, who spend a lot of money on designer clothes. And I just, I don't care to spend that kind of money on clothing. Um, And then I have friends who would never, you know, glue on fake eyelashes or wear the amount of makeup that I want to wear sometimes. And, and to be able to have people on both ends of the spectrum and respect that, you know, there's different, um, you know, different preferences, that's okay. So, you know, for me, it's been a journey of, um, you know, there's been certain seasons where I look back and I've, you know, look always very put together in certain seasons where I'm super relaxed. And, um, I think just figuring out what works for you and what feels good for you is what's Mm -hmm. ultimately the most important. And I think at the bottom of a lot of when we are casting the judgment and the insecurity is the shame, you know, yeah. um, and, and I, and, and not, and I think just even shame at ourselves, like, am I enough? Am I enough? Because I'm, I'm not doing all of that. Am I enough? Because I am doing all of it, right. you know, um, and, you know, because I'm doing all of it doesn't mean I, I feel like I'm not enough if I don't, you know, I think it's all. And so just like what you said, like walking in our own confidence, I love it. So mm-hmm. before we move on to talking about yeah. sex, which has been what I've been so excited to talk to you about, mm-hmm. um, I jotted down you, your program is called <clears throat> food freedom online program. Um, yes. is there a website? I know they can find you. I'm going to link your socials on here, but where can they find you online if they yeah. want to be part of this? Yeah. You know, I think the best place to probably check out what I do is on my podcast, the dear body podcast. Um, just checking that out. If you struggle with food, your relationship with food and your body, if you're stuck in the binge, uh, emotional overeating, um, body image cycles. Um, yeah, we, we love to come alongside women who are in those, in those struggles. I went back to school to get, um, my eating psychology certification Mm -hmm. and it's been super transformative and it's been such an honor. We've worked with over a thousand women in the last three years to help them reprogram their brain and how it functions around food and how they feel about their body. So they no longer even feel the impulse to binge or overeat. Mm -hmm. Uh, We use different mental collaboration, metacognition techniques. It's a very brain-based approach, our program. Um, So yeah, it's been such an honor. And if, if you're struggling in your relationship with food, I say the best place to start, like I said, is just check out the podcast. I talk all about binge eating, emotional eating, body image struggles, and how we can navigate our way out of those struggles. And then, you know, of course I talk about the course and what we do, um, on the podcast, but you can check that out at, uh, www.foodfreedomonlineprogram.com slash F F M. Um, so yeah, that's where I spend most of my time. And I, you guys will, you you guys will just be so blessed even by just following her and her honesty Mm -hmm. and her journey. So let's switch gears real quickly because we only have a few minutes left and let's talk about sex. All right. So, um, one of the first times, so one of the first, um, posts I'd saw was like you with like sitting there with your skin. And then I think even you had one with hung, you know, messing with your skin. I was like, Oh, I love this woman. Then you posted something about with a vibrator in it and talking about, um, how the world like really likes to accept the professional woman, but they have a really hard time accepting the woman who enjoys pleasuring herself mm-hmm. and being pleasured. And I was like, oh my gosh, got to get to know her. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that Jesse and I talked about before she hopped on is that we are both um, Jesus followers. And I know I've got a lot of listeners that aren't in totes great, but I wanted to give you some background to this. And and I asked her if she was familiar with the purity culture. And so for those of you who aren't, I'm going to give you a real quick rundown about what purity culture is and was and 
um, is hopefully on its way dying out. But purity culture in the church, it was something that was basically taught that sex is awful, wicked, terrible, dirty, wrong. And then as soon as you get married, it's awesome and go and have it. But then a lot of it also hinged on pleasure was just for the man and that you as a woman, and this was taught in the church, still is in some places. You as a woman need to doll up and make sure you're taking care of yourself because if your husband has any kind of wandering eyes, that's on you because you have not kept yourself up and looking good. Um, and then if your husband cheats, that's on you because if the bar needs paint and paint it. And also you should be satisfying all of your husband's needs. There was It's very male domineering um, as far as sex is concerned. So I remember... Because I had grown up in this world where if people had premarital sex, they were shamed. Um, they were, I mean, I remember this Bible college that I went to and attended. If you had sex in college, you were kicked out of the college. Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, if you kissed someone, you were kicked out. I mean, it was ridiculous. Um, and so I didn't have my first kiss until I was 23 years old. Um, and... I was a virgin when I got married and our first probably year or two of sex as married couples, I didn't orgasm on like insects. Um, I thought sex was just for my husband. I didn't enjoy it. It wasn't until after I started doing reading and researching on what sex is. And then I will say in the past probably year and a half um, through the pandemic, because like what else was there to do? My husband and I started really studying sex and how the church as a whole has gotten sex wrong, how I think a lot of times we think the Bible says certain things about sex that it doesn't. So let's just talk about sex for a little bit, Jesse, and tell me a little bit about your journey with sex and why you are so, one of the things you really put forth on your social media is getting comfortable pleasuring yourself. Why is that such a big deal to you? Mm -hmm. um, and I love it. Why is that such a big, because I remember masturbation too was something in purity culture. No one was to masturbate. It was sinful. It was wrong. Don't even think about masturbate. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about your journey with sex now that I just set that up embarrassingly. So I <laughs> know it's good. I think, I think, um, having these conversations is super important yeah. because so many people feel shame around this idea of sex, but it's a very human, very natural thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, if we don't talk about it openly, how are we supposed to learn about it? If yes. we don't talk about how a woman has so many different buttons, if you will, in order to get off. Um, a lot of women are just faking orgasms. They're faking enjoyment through sex because, um, yeah, this perspective that it's just about the man, I need to pretend to enjoy it, but you mm -hmm. should enjoy it. But yes. how are you supposed to enjoy something unless you really learn about it? It's not like the movies where it's just this, and it can be, I suppose, but it's not usually where it just, you know, is fireworks when, you know, you just come together and know what to do. Yeah. Um, and yes. so there's no, yeah, there's no conversation around it. And yeah, the church, uh, does a pretty good job, um, in a lot of ways, um, a lot of churches, I'm not saying all churches, but there's definitely a lot of churches who really, uh, push this idea, um, quiet sex, quiet to talk around sex. And they, and it, and there's this underlying shame associated mm -hmm. with it. And I think, uh, for me, one of my big passions is to break down, uh, taboo and stigmatizing topics because yeah. shame is, you know, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is I've done something wrong and shame is I am wrong. Mm. And, um, 
uh, there's so much shame that people are carrying. It's so heavy and shame in the research is associated with uh, addiction, eating disorders, depression, you know, it's associated with a lot of these things. And so if we can help individuals break down shame, um, I think we can help people feel a little bit more free. They can heal. They cannot turn to some of these self-sabotaging behaviors because when shame, when shame sets in this idea that I am wrong, um, we're constantly at war with ourselves. And so we do things to numb out. We do things to distract ourselves. And those things tend to be, uh, self-sabotaging. It can be, it could be a sex addiction. It could be alcohol. It could be drugs, be a shopping addiction. It could be pornography. It could be, you know, uh, eating disorders, whatever it is. And so, um, I'm just passionate about bringing up topics, sex, just being one of those bringing up topics, um, that don't get a lot of conversation or open and honest conversation. And I feel like, you know, I, I, I believe in, I love Jesus. Um, and at the same time, you know, I have this perspective that we're all humans trying to one, interpret the Bible. And, um, I just don't believe shame is part of, uh, God's design for us. And so I've had to do a lot of my own self-discovery and self-exploration. And I think my mom has always said it really well. She said, you know, your journey is between you and God. And, um, you know, no matter what anybody else says, it's between you and him. So listen to your heart and what feels right. And so for me, it just became this thing where I felt so much shame around this idea of vibrators and self-pleasure and, um, sex in general that I, you know, I, I wanted to start talking about it because I knew I wasn't the only one. And as I've ventured, you know, more and more into marriage, I've released some of those, um, you know, some of those things, it's felt very freeing. Um, but yeah, I felt so much shame for having premarital, premarital sex. I would, you know, I would have sex with my now husband and I would cry afterwards. And it Mm. would be this whole ordeal of how guilty and how ashamed I felt. Mm. And he didn't really understand, but he was trying to support me. And, um, and the thing is, I think, you know, if we don't one, if we don't spend on the topic of masturbation, if we don't spend time exploring our bodies and understanding what we like, how are we ever to communicate that with our partners? Mm, Yeah. And so, so if we want to live in a world where we continue to just hope it happens when we're having sex, hope it feels the way we want it to feel. I mean, I guess we can do that or we can spend a little bit of time connecting with our bodies and that's all Mm. it is. It's like, let's, let me connect with this, this, this partner of mine, my own body yeah, yeah, um, and get familiar with it so that I can communicate and so that I can have a healthy, you know, sex life and, yeah. and a pleasurable sex life. And, yeah. um, yeah, just, you know, it's just a topic that I feel so many feel ashamed of, ashamed about, especially in, you know, the religious world. And I think it needs to be talked about because, you know, the, what's happening is we feel so much shame. So we go, then go do things in secret. And then we yeah. live with so much yeah. guilt and we have all these things just festering in the dark corners of our mind. Yeah. Um, so I'm my number one value in life is freedom, freedom from food addiction, freedom from shame, uh, freedom from insecurity and, um, yeah, freedom from having secrets. And yeah. so I like to speak openly about these taboo topics and, 
um, it's been pretty amazing because in doing so, so many women have come forward and said, you know, I struggle or I've, you know, never felt like I could purchase a vibrator and I get it. There's a lot of, you know, the world of sex has these dark sides and there's, you know, there's, um, there's a lot in, in the whole world of sex, there's these beautiful parts. And then there's these, these parts that are dark and scary and, um, perverted and inappropriate. And, you know, we all have it probably a different story when it comes to sex, whether it's been held in a safe container or whether we've been, you know, maybe violated in one way or another, or maybe it's maybe the ideas we have about sex aren't very supportive for the, for, you know, freedom and, Mm. and, um, pleasure. Mm. Um, so I'm just, I guess I'm trying to tell a story that feels yeah. really empowering for women. Yeah. Well, and I love that. And I think, you know, again, as, as my husband and I have looked at scripture and what scripture actually says and teaches about sex, you know, so much of what has been taught in the church isn't even in scripture when you start to look at it. And, you know, one of the things he and I've been talking about and just trying to figure out is the whole idea of premarital sex and like, is it as wrong as the church has said? And is it as dirty? And I think it, I love what you said is, there is a balance, right? There's a balance. You've even said it with food, with everything else. There's a balance in life. You know, you can't go one way or you can't go the other way, you know? But I think, you know, even when you look at scripture, it's funny when you look at what a wedding or a marriage was, it was when two people had committed to each other. And then the marriage was actually having sex for the first time. Like that was the marriage. That was the, you know, consummation of marriage. And so, you know, even as I think logically, even about like you and hung and, and having like, you guys were obviously committed to each other and, you know, you weren't married yet, but there was a commitment there and there was a love there. And it wasn't just like, you guys were just hitting and quitting it, not caring about the other person. There was an, there was an honest soul care there. And so I think even sometimes in that, like, yes, you carried a lot of shame and guilt that I, you know, that, and, a, and I don't know if this was you, but then a lot of people who have done that with their spouse, their, their spouse before they're married, and then they get married, then the sex gets tainted in the marriage because all that guilt and shame gets brought into the marriage. And now you're undoing all of that as well. Mm-hmm. And so I just, and I think too, even for people like me, like it's dirty, it's dirty, it's dirty, it's dirty, it's dirty. Oh, you said I do. Okay. Now go have fun on your honeymoon. And it's like, I can't divorce the dirtiness that I've been taught. Like, and I hadn't even seen a penis, you know, like I didn't know. I'm just going to be completely honest with you, Jesse. Like, I didn't know how sex worked on my, on my honeymoon. My, mm-hmm. my, my, yeah. Like, I didn't even know how it worked. He, he went into me the first time and it hurt like hell. And then I was like, Oh, hope that was good for you. Cause that was just not even remotely fun for me. And it had nothing to do with him. Like he was very careful and very gentle, but, and so, you know, and then you get the idea that Christian sex is boring and all this other stuff. And so I think like experimentation, I think, especially, you know, once you do get married, there's, I don't know that there's a whole lot off limits between you and your husband. Once you get married of things to try and enjoy, I don't know if you'd agree with me on that, but Mm -hmm. like, as long as there's open, safe communication, but, um, but I, I really appreciated you being honest about self-pleasuring because I think we've also lost track of the fact that we are you know, we are soul spirit bodies, but our bodies are beautiful and something to be enjoyed and something to not be afraid of. And I think even like the whole modesty thing with purity culture has created a lot of, you know, taboo about different things. And so I just really appreciated you talking about just being comfortable in your body, embracing your body and knowing your body. I think that's been so good for women, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I think, you know, I think it, 
I always get a little nervous whenever I do sex talks because I know that people will pass judgment. Um, not nervous of, you know, what I'm going to talk about, but nervous of the perception that people will have because I yeah. know where I came from. And so mm-hmm. I always, you know, I usually try and start with just a little warning. Hey, if you're not comfortable listening to this, that's totally okay. Yeah. I totally appreciate that. But this is what I'm going to be talking about on my story or this one I'm going to be sharing in the podcast because I get it. Some people just aren't in a place where they want to talk about it. It feels so shameful. It's like they're not ready to look into it and explore it. And yeah. I hope to just offer a narrative that feels maybe safe. Like, hey, mm-hmm. let's just maybe talk about it. Let's see, yeah. you know, and, and what's really cool is you don't, you get to create your own sex story. Hey, you don't, you want, you know, you want porn to be off limits. Let it be off limits. Yeah. Yeah. You want X, Y, and Z to be off limits. Have it be off limits. If that doesn't feel right for you and your partner, you know, whatever it is. And, and, you know, I have things that, you know, in our marriage, we have certain things that don't feel right for us that, you know, I know other, some of my other friends and other couples that I know that feels right for them. And I'm like, okay, that's great. And I don't have to be threatened by somebody else's preferences. Mm. It's just when I open myself up to be a little more open-minded, I get to learn. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. And I think especially when it comes to, to sex with your partner, it's what you said. It's, it's, communication and figuring out what feels safe for both of you. And when you have those conversations, yeah, that may not look the same for somebody else, but oh, well, and it's the same thing we just talked about, even with body image and stuff like that shame, that insecurity doesn't need to creep up. Like you need to be confident enough in who you are and in your relationship and in your communication and your safety to be like, okay, we've agreed this is cool for us and we're okay with this. You know, if it's not for you, that's great. I'm not going to judge you or pass judgment to you. Or if there's something that's not okay for us, but it's okay for you, like, yay, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yes, you're right. Like opening the conversation so that shame and guilt and judgment isn't a part of sex anymore, where mm-hmm. we can just learn and experiment and you know, God created our bodies for pleasure. And I think that's what people forget. God created the clitoris, you know, like God created the orgasm, God created the penis and everything else. And so for us not to enjoy it and explore it and, um, you know, figure it out, like shame on us, you know, that is something we should be ashamed of, you know, because our bodies were designed for pleasure. And so why are we not within the comp? Obviously, like, what you said in the balance and not going where it's harmful. And I think those are the questions. One of the things like my husband and I have talked about is, you know, when we go to talk to our kids, my oldest is nine. So we, we are talking to her about sex, but we're not necessarily to the point where I have to go too far yet. We're getting there though. I know that, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, yikes. But I think it's, it's, you know, talking to some, what, one of the questions we always say is like, what does love demand? So when it comes to the topic of sex, are you being loving to yourself and to someone else? And are you being safe to yourself and to someone else? I think those are the questions that are so mm-hmm. important to act, mm-hmm. ask in regards to sex. Do you agree or disagree? Or would you add to yeah, that? No, I, I love that. I think it needs to be, it definitely needs to be safe for pe- the people involved and, yeah. um, yeah. And deciding what do I want this to feel like and encompass and, um, are we on the same page? I think communication is so important and, um, because we don't communicate about it and talking about it is even shamed, like I said, we just go in with these ideas that it's just going to happen the way we have inside of our head, but we need to start Mm. talking about it. And that's why I try and talk about it openly. It's like, let's have these conversations. 
Yeah. I love it. Bring it out into the open. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for your honesty. Thank you for being on here. Um, You guys make sure you follow her on social media and get her podcast. I'm going to link all of that to this, but um, and then if, as always, if you go to NicoleGolden.org, I have a resources page there. I'll have all of that there, um, as well. So if you, um, watch and listen and forget it's all on my website, but we appreciate it, Jesse mm-hmm. and guys, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into scar stories podcast. We all need places where we can feel seen, be safe, find connection and resources. I would love to connect with you on social media at, at Nicole Faye Golden. I also have a website with a ton of resources and a free seven-day praying scared prayer journal at NicoleGolden.org. Thank you for tuning in. I'd love it if you shared this with your friends and if you left a rating and a comment. And I look forward to seeing you next time as we delve into mental health, parenting, family, and so many other issues with a lot of my friends. We'll see you soon.